All right, we are in our vision series. It's a three-week series on Reach Up, Rise Up, Reach Out. Reach Up is a real relationship with the living God is available to you. Rise Up, a real relationship with the living God will change you. And Reach Out, a real relationship with the living God is a call to action. So we want to stay connected with God. We want to be getting better. And we want to make a difference. We want our lives to count. This week, we're talking about rising up. We're talking about Life change, getting better, and becoming who God has called us to be. A real relationship with the living God will change you. God expects us to grow and get better. God expects us to grow and get better. He expects us to learn His ways and put them into practice, and He expects us to make a difference. Now, there's a reason for the order of the vision statement. Reach up, rise up, reach out. We need to connect with God. What are the prerequisites you need to have in your life to be able to cry out to God? Nothing. (laughs) All you need to do is cry out to God. You don't need to prepare for that. You don't need to study for that. You don't need to pass any classes for that. You don't need to clean your life up for that. All you need to do is cry out to God and He will answer. But then we need to change. Because God will call you to do some things, to make a difference, to shine a light in a dark world. And in order for that to happen, we've got to make some progress. Amen? We've got to get somewhere. We've got to build some skills. You know, if, if you're going to run a marathon, you know, and you just like one day you're like, yes, I'm going to run a marathon. You don't just then run a marathon. Right? You train. You develop your capacity to run if we're going to make a difference for Christ, we've got to, we've got to be Christ-like. We've got to grow and learn and, and learn the ways of God and grab hold of it. And it's what makes your life better anyway. It's a win-win because our lives get better as we rise up and we're more effective for the kingdom of God as we rise up. So this is basically, you know, get the plank out of your own eye before you go plucking specks out of other people's eyes. We've got to look at ourselves. We've got to get better. And the, the reality is, is most people want their lives to change, but they don't want to change. And if your life is going to change, the only way that's going to happen is by you changing first. You have to change. You have to learn the ways of God and grow and develop. And then, then your life will change. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and I've recently been listening to Craig Groeschel from Life Church. And in one of their um, core values, they talk about we as believers don't go to church. We are the church. We don't go to church because the church isn't the building. The church is the people. We are the church. And the church isn't here for you, you are the church, and the church is here for the world. We're here to make a difference in this world. And so, in order for us to be able to get to reach out, we must rise up. We must grow and get to that place. And that is discipleship. You know, discipleship uh, is a word that's not used as much as it used to be, but basically it's people helping each other get better at following Jesus. The super fancy religious word is sanctification. That means that we're getting closer to connecting with the ways of God and overcoming the darkness. It's sanctification. It's, It's a process of getting closer to God and learning the ways of God. And it's a major part of our culture here at Good Hope is to always be improving, to always be taking a step up, to always be getting better. 
Let's be getting better because that's how our lives change and how we have an impact for the kingdom of God. And so we want to be always getting better, not desperate and pressured, but always taking another step. If we just take today's step today, then tomorrow we'll we'll be where we need to be. Let's just keep taking that step. Then we can learn and grow. So God sees great potential in you, but you got to work to get there. You don't just sit there and then all of a sudden you reach your potential. You got to train. You got to make every effort like we talked about in our last sermon series. We've got to rise up. We have a role in this. Let's look at Jesus' procedure for discipleship. An outline of how Jesus did discipleship. Just to make it real simple, we're going to break it into four categories. Jesus' process of discipleship. First thing he did was he called people. He called them to serve God and to join the group, to join the church. He called them. He said, follow me. Come on. Then he taught them. He taught them through speaking, through example. He taught them the power of God by showing them miracles. He taught them in a variety of ways. Then he gave them opportunities to do things in a controlled environment. To use maybe an unfortunate word, he let them practice. And then he released them to lead in their own ministries and to, to go out into the whole world. He called them. He taught them. He uh, gave them opportunities. And then he released them. And how did the people respond to what Jesus did? Well, when Jesus called, some people answered the call and some people didn't. Which is the best thing to do? Answer the call. When Jesus says, follow me, your answer should be, yes, I will. I'm, I'm in. Come on. And, and go with Jesus. Amen? Don't resist God. Answer the call. Then, when Jesus teaches, those who were following him devoted themselves to the teaching. You know, we don't have Jesus walking around. We don't have the apostles of that day, but we have the recorded revelation of God, the holy, inerrant word of God, the Bible. We have the teachings here. We can devote ourselves to the teachings. And then when Jesus gave opportunities, the people stepped up and took that. One of the things that's amazing, you know, when they had the 5,000, they were going to feed the 5,000. That's just men besides women and children. And the disciples come to Jesus and they're like, man, it's getting late. Let's send these people out so they can get some food. And Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat. It's a controlled environment. Jesus has got it all handled. And he knows there's an important lesson they need to learn, but they need to have their hands in it. So he says, you give them something to eat. We're not going to cover that whole thing today, but it worked out. He gave them opportunities and they stepped up and took those opportunities. And then when it was time, they took the lead. They stepped out into an uncontrolled environment and served God and helped develop the environment themselves. They took the lead. To make this a little personal, let's follow Peter through this process, through his calling, look at the teaching see how he was given opportunities and how he was released. Let's walk through this with Peter. So Peter was one of the 12 and he was also one of the three. 
So of the 12, there were three that were real tight with Jesus. Peter's one of the three. And let's look at how this all happened, this process of Peter going from not knowing Christ to learning and growing to being released into the fullness of what he was called to do. So Jesus calls Peter. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. So Simon is Peter. Back then they would change their names a lot. Jesus changed Simon's name later on. We'll talk about that briefly here in a little bit. But this Simon, who's a fisherman, who owns the boat, is Peter. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. So Peter's a fisherman. He's been fishing all night. He's getting the seaweed and the sticks out of the nets and getting them all prepared so he can go to bed. And Jesus says, yeah, it's nice that you cleaned your nets. Why don't you go take them and throw them in the water again? And Peter's probably thinking, you're the preacher. I'm the fisherman. You do your thing, I'll do mine. But, what does he say? Because you say so, I will let down the nets. Peter thought it was a bad idea. But he said, because you say so, I'll do it. Jesus has been teaching from Peter's boat about the things of God. And now he's teaching him about fishing. He says, go let down the nets. Peter submits to what Jesus says. I've heard it said, you can't submit until you disagree. When you agree, you're just doing what you want. But when you disagree with someone who is of a higher authority than you, then you can disagree and do what they say, and that's submitting. So Peter submitted to what Jesus said, and he went out and let out the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. So I guess Jesus knows something about fishing. This is the biggest payday that Peter is ever going to have. Because this is as much fish as you can get in the two boats. They're starting to take on water. This is so many fish. And this is cash money to Peter. They're fishermen. How does he respond? When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Peter had heard Jesus teach. He knew about fish. So he knew this was a miracle. And his response wasn't, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. We got lots of fish today. Hallelujah. His response was, Oh no, I don't deserve to be here. I don't belong here. Jesus, you better get out. I'm going to burst into flames real soon if you don't move. Because I know I don't fit here. He says, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. This is Peter. He's intimidated and scared and feels like there's no way he should be in the presence 
of this Jesus. So he tells Jesus to go away. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. So they apparently owned the other boat. They were also some of the twelve. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So Jesus doesn't say, okay, I'll go away. He says, no, don't be afraid. I got a plan for you. You're good with fish. I showed you a miracle on how to catch fish. Now I'm going to show you a miracle on how to catch men. Come with me. Verse 11. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Did they... Take the fish to the market. No. They left the fish with Zebedee or whoever else was there. And they're like, ah, if this can happen, I'm just going with this guy. Because this is good enough. These, this today's catch is not the biggest thing. Going with Jesus is bigger. So they left everything and went with Jesus. So the calling of Peter... Peter listened, he trusted and obeyed, he saw the power of God, and then he left everything. That's how Peter was called. Then Peter followed Jesus for about three years, you know, plus or minus, in there somewhere, maybe three, three and a half. During those years, Peter learned lots of things. Jesus, again, he taught them, he taught them just by speaking. He taught them by example. He showed them his power through miracles and all these different things. But what do you think a day of being a disciple of Jesus on this earth would be like? Do you think it would be equivalent to say morning devotions, going to church, and then in the evening attending a small group? Maybe a little more than that even, right? So if, if Peter did that for three years plus, That's like 21 years of going to church every week, having a small group every week, and doing your devotions. Like 21 years of that. I mean, this was an intensive training process. And during that time, Peter made a variety of mistakes, and he did a variety of things extremely well. When Jesus asked, who do these people say I am? And then they gave a bunch of weird answers because they thought maybe he was a reincarnated somebody from the past. or They had odd ideas back then. And uh, so then Jesus says, but who do you guys think I am? You disciples, who do you think I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. And Jesus says, you didn't figure that out on your own. God told you that. And your name isn't Simon anymore. It's rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's doing pretty good. Later in that chapter, Jesus is talking about how he's going to go to the cross. And Peter says, nope, 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 nope. That's not going to happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. So ups and downs. One of the wonderful things about Peter is he was willing to just let it come out of his mouth. If it was in his head, it came out of his mouth. So it's very helpful for us because a lot of stuff got written down. He had tremendous highs. He had tremendous lows. Peter did wonderful, amazing things, and he also fell and stumbled. Peter is the one who denied Jesus three times on crucifixion day. 
He did also many awesome things, but he listened to the teachings and had his ups and downs. Peter was also given opportunities in controlled environments by Jesus. One of the most famous ones we're going to look at here in Matthew chapter 16, I'm sorry, 14, verse 22. So they'd been doing lots of ministry and they're really tired. And so Jesus is taking care of his disciples by trying to get them away from that. And he's going to deal with business. So that's where we pick this up. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So they'd been rowing out into the lake, very large lake, since late afternoon sometime. And now it's dark out, and they're still rowing. And the wind is going the wrong way. And they're fighting and battling. And here's, here's what happens, amazing stuff. During the fourth watch of the night, which I, I looked it up, I couldn't find fourth watch, I found three watches, but this is late. This is maybe like four in the morning. You know, this is late. They've been fighting the waves a long time. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake, Have you ever been in a situation where all of a sudden there was a person there and you didn't know they were there? And you're like, ah, have you ever had that? Have you ever had that happen in the dark? Have you ever had that happen in the dark out on a lake? When you haven't gotten any sleep? That would be tough. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. He snuck up on them. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Jesus walked on the water. That we can kind of understand. I mean, he was fully man at that moment, but he's fully God. But Peter gets out of the boat. He starts walking towards Jesus. I think he had, he had boat courage at that moment. You know how when you're sitting on the sidelines... And then you see people doing things, you think, I can do that. And then you get out there. So there's sideline courage, and then there's frontline courage. And Peter had in the boat courage. Then he got out on the water, and he wasn't able to have out on the water courage. He wasn't able to have out on the water faith. So he comes out walking towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. He steps out of the boat. He's the only normal human being to ever have walked on water. And he begins to sink and he cries out for help to Jesus. And what happens? Immediately, immediately, the picture I have is just Jesus grabs him and picks him up. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. So, Peter, in a controlled environment, steps out of the boat. Jesus is there to rescue him. Jesus is there. 
It's part of the discipleship training process. Jesus is there, gives him an opportunity. Now, Jesus didn't ask Peter to step out of the boat. Peter asked Jesus if he could step out of the boat. My question to you then is, what are you asking God to let you do? What are you saying, Lord, let me do this. If this is you, let me do this. Peter asked Jesus if he could step out of the boat. And he got out and he walked on water. He began to sink and Jesus caught him. It was a controlled environment. It was a safe environment. Peter learned lessons. And then Jesus released Peter. Jesus was on earth again for that limited time. Three and a half years of ministry, somewhere in there. And then Jesus dies on the cross. He's resurrected. He ascends to heaven. And now the disciples are by themselves. And the day of Pentecost comes. Fifty days after Peter is denying Jesus. He's restored And now he's released. Let's look at what happens with this Peter, the one who said, go away from me, Lord. You know, he didn't feel worthy to be in the presence of God. The one that Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, to, but who also renamed from Simon to rock and said, upon this rock, I will build my church. This Peter, who's been through so many different things, who's had so many highs and lows, what happens with him in Acts chapter 2? We're going to read just a few verses. Acts 2 verse 14 says this. So the, this is the day of Pentecost. You know, the, uh, the tongues of fire come on, the 120 in the upper room, and they're speaking the wonders of God and all the languages of the people that have traveled into Jerusalem. And it's the whole city is in an uproar trying to figure out what's going on. And someone has to calm the crowd and explain the God thing that's happening. And it's Peter. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. He actually gets their attention. They listen to him, and he preaches a big, long message. In the conclusion of it, we get to in verse 36. We jump to verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Who crucified Jesus? I think I had something to do with that. Because why did he go to the cross? For me, for you, who crucified Jesus, the ones he died for. He went there for us. 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Then Peter replied. Peter called them. Jesus called Peter. Peter calls these people. Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So it's for you, it's for the people in the future, it's for the people who aren't here, and it's for everybody. That's us. Verse 40. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This Peter, go away from me, Lord. Get behind me, Satan. You have little faith. This Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost, hasn't whatever form of altar call they had, 3,000 people respond. This Peter, 
This is rise up. Peter went from one way of being to another. And look what God did with him. Peter didn't start serving God on the day of Pentecost. He started as a self-proclaimed sinful man who didn't feel he belonged in the presence of a holy God. That's how he started. But he didn't quit. He didn't walk away. He rose up. He got better. He made mistakes, but he kept on going. This is a picture of our walk with God. If you have a, a true encounter with God, it's an intimidating thing because God is holy and we aren't. But he loves us and he makes us new and he lifts us up. If we go with him, he'll never abandon us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is a picture of discipleship. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. This is both instantaneous and progressive. When we cry out to God, we're perfectly forgiven even though we're not perfect. But then the new in us grows over time and we overcome the old as the weeks, as the months, as the years go by. We grow. The old is gone, the new has come. It's immediate and progressive. It's a process. It's a battle. Last week, I gave you the opportunity to answer the call. I'm going to do that again. We had 22 people between church and youth group last week raise their hands to say, yes, I want to serve God or I want to re-up. I want to rededicate my life to Christ. 22 last night, we had five more. Something's going on here, man. Something's going on. I think, I think God's up to something. God is wanting to bring his people together and to lift us up. That means there's something coming that we need to be ready for. First step is to answer the call and to say, yes, Lord, I'm in. And then this week's choice, rise up. This week's choice is to be getting better. Don't panic with that, but take today's step today. Then tomorrow you'll be where you're supposed to be. Just take today's step today. You don't have to grow five years in one day. Grow one day worth. Tomorrow, grow another day. Keep doing that. Then when the day comes, you'll be where you're supposed to be. Let's look at Ephesians 4.1. So as our closing scripture. Ephesians 4.1. The Apostle Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus, as he's in prison and he's encouraging them, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. They were called and they received it. Now it was time to live the life. So I'm going to do the call again. And then for those who have answered the call before, I'm going to pray that we would be able to live that life that's worthy of the call that we've received. Let's go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, you are so good. Thank you that you take people like Peter and you bring them into your kingdom. You take them from people who are ashamed to be in your presence into people mightily used by you. But it's a process. The first part of the process is to say yes. If you need to say yes to Jesus, raise your hand. If you need to re-up, raise your hand.
Father, we pray for those whose hands were up, that your spirit and your power would be upon them, that your strength would go with them. Lord, for those who made a first-time commitment, let them walk into your presence with confidence. Lord, for those who are rededicating themselves to service to you, let your power be with them. And Father, for all of us, Lord, we want to live lives worthy of the calling that we have received. We want to stand together for your purposes and to be ready when the moment comes. Lord, help us to live an afternoon worthy of you. To live a Monday worthy of you. To live a Thursday night worthy of you. Lord, let us live lives worthy of the calling that we have received. And Father, I pray a blessing over each one in this place. Lord, I pray that your peace would be upon us. Lord, that fear and anxiety and all those things would melt away as your peace washes over us. Lord, I pray your joy would be our strength. Lord, as all those negative things fall and we just are filled with joy because we know that you will never leave us or forsake us and that we are standing on a firm foundation and we have a future, that we'll be filled with joy. And Lord, help us to know the love you have for us, that we're never lonely, that we never see ourselves as worth nothing, but we see ourselves through the eyes of your love and that we are filled to overflowing So we have extra love to share with those who are difficult for us to deal with in our lives. Lord, let it be. In Jesus' name, amen.